Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Leslie Robinson, who has designed an innovative re-entry game, Recharge Beyond the Bars, specifically designed to aid the social, emotional, and communication struggles of presently and formerly incarcerated men and women. I met Leslie Robinson last weekend at an event that honored the work of many people who have overcome their past incarceration and now are giving back to their community. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. So before we talk about recharge, I'm kind of interested how you got into this space to begin with. Uh, what's your background? So my background is many years ago, I had got a bachelor's in social work and I went on to work in emergency shelters for runaway and homeless youth, supervised residences for homeless young adults, work with a schizophrenic population in a 900 bed armory with homeless adult and male adults. Uh, for six years, like with creative uh, arts programs and failing inner city schools. 20 years, I was a consultant for foster care. Uh, two years, I was a Department of Defense reintegration speaker all across the country with a drawdown from Afghanistan. And um, importantly, I did a two-year poetry project at Rikers Island Women's Prison 36 years ago before there were volunteers allowed into prison. So I was the second volunteer ever allowed into Rikers Island. It took it was a very long process to be allowed in and it, and it was amazing. Um, I went every two weeks and I worked with 50 to 100 women at a time. The guards would line the, the room and we'd kick poetry for two hours and two weeks I wasn't there, they'd be writing. I also have a master's in poetry and creative writing. Um, and I, I'm now presently a therapist uh, after studying for 10 years in psychoanalysis. So, um, my own background, uh, my mother had a lot of uh, emotional struggles, um, very distant father. Um, I really had nobody to talk to about anything at all ever and suffered uh, tremendously because of that. We just had to repress everything. There was never anybody to share anything with, process anything with, uh, have my feelings with um, my mother you know, used to like to say that she was raising orphans with a home. Um, she, she, she was a brilliant, brilliant woman, but not really cut out, you know, to, to be a mother. And she didn't like young children. So due to my own trauma, there was a lot else that I'm just too heavy to get into right now. <laughs> so due to my own trauma, which led me into this work, obviously, most of us who go into this work, if not all of us, uh, go into it because we have our own significant trauma that we're working through. Um, it, it just was amazing to me that there was nothing out there to help people to come together in ways that they could have really deep, meaningful conversations to help them process their lives together with people in their own lives to understand them. You know, really our therapeutic model is one-on-one -on -one therapy. It doesn't work for the vast majority of people. Uh, you know, probably at least 90% or more people don't ever go into a therapist's office and they're left out here with nothing to help them to really process their feelings and emotions. Um, so I developed a number of, of games, quote games, communication resources that help people get really deep into really deep conversations with one another. But there's also a lot of fun mixed in. 
So, you know, nobody wants to just be having deep conversations for hours, but with fun and activities and drawing and laughter and tears. So it creates this very um, dynamic interchange where people it gets too heavy or they start arguing, like, let's get off this going to something else. They're on something else. So. So how do you describe recharge? I would describe it as a space. It, it creates a space for people to deeply process their life experiences and their incarceration experiences with people that they're around all the time. You, it's used inside about 90 prisons and jails, as well as communities, families with friends. And I think it would be helpful to read a few questions. Um, so the questions go from light to deep. There's, oops, it would be helpful if I had them all in order, but the questions with the gear, as you can see, are all about incarceration. And the questions that don't have a gear, which are a lot, are just about life. They're, they're meaningful questions about life. So you can play with family and friends and everybody's opening and sharing. So you pick a number card and there's six questions on a card. So it'll be one to six. So I just picked four. And number four is, um, did you pray while you were incarcerated? If yes, what did you pray for? So if everybody's been incarcerated, they're all gonna answer that. Um, a family member might wanna answer that as well, what they prayed for while their family member was incarcerated, right? Because just like with veterans, when the, when the veterans, when the service member serves, the family serves, it's the same thing um, as we know, when, when somebody goes to prison, they're in a dangerous situation with a lot of trauma and the family serves right with them. Um, everybody answers the same question. So what happens is people start opening and sharing, people who might never have really been that vulnerable ever before and really feeling good about it because everybody is. And that soft space is, is it's like a soft landing space and everybody's speaking their truth around the circle, sharing on whatever it is. Um, another question, did you lose family members or friends while you were incarcerated? If yes, what was that like? You know, most people have. That's a very, very painful experience. If you don't get to process that, that can sit inside of you and really eat at you terribly. So if you get to share that and you know that other people know what you're going through and have been through, it's, it's extremely uh, helpful. So let me ask this question. So let, let's say I'm our mutual friend, Jeffrey Deskovic, and you ask, uh, did you pray? If so, what did you pray? And he answers, well, I, I prayed that somebody would uh, notice that there's uh, DMA, DNA that doesn't point to me. How does that help our friend, uh, you know, uh, to be able to answer that and, and kind of discuss that? Well, I don't know if Jeffrey really, how I haven't asked him if he got to really tell people that you know, he was in for rape and murder. He was wrongfully convicted of rape and murder. And so, of course, he was a target. I don't know if he really got to share in a safe space with people who are open to really hearing him that, that he didn't do it. So I'll actually have to ask him that. But this creates a place where people really are honest and open and people are in their hearts with each other. So I think that people would have a different experience if he... If he if he answered that while playing this game with them when they were all vulnerable and opening up rather than him trying to say, oh, I'm in this, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it, you know, when they'd be like, yeah, you know, it would be a different experience. Yeah. 
So how did you come up with the idea that um, the game was a good way to do this? My first game is called Keep It Real. It's all about life. And that's where the concept for this game, for all the games, comes from. And that came to me fully formed. Like, I didn't sit down to think about a game. It just, like, came to me with all the categories and everything. So then, based because I uh, worked in prisons, um, it made sense to do the same concept, but with questions about incarceration to help people have those conversations. And one thing that I kind of learned last weekend, um, you know, like Silverio had uh, the step to the line game and, um, you know, he had a bunch of the people kind of participate. I was hanging back because I was videoing it, but I was watching it and I was also listening to what Silverio had to say. And it was really interesting, like at one point, and, and I actually had Silverio on one of these podcasts earlier that'll be broadcast at some point but at, at one at one point you know what he said was you get these big tough guys you know in these level four facilities um who have committed these awful crimes and and sometimes these games are enough to get these guys to like break down and cry and these are big tough guys oh yeah i've done workshops in maximum security i actually did one um at rikers island I trained all the counselor supervisors by doing um, a workshop with the game with 10, 10 men in maximum. Yeah, it, it's kind of magical. It's like if you ask somebody a question directly, immediately defenses go up and think, why are you asking me this and what are you trying to get at, right? But if it's on a card and you roll a dice, you pick a number, you're reading it on a card, you're open, you're, look, you're, you're excited and interested to hear what the question is. So you're in a completely different state of mind with that and they were just all sharing really deep things and it's incredibly beautiful yeah let me read you actually a um testimonial from porter county sheriff's department would you can i do that yeah um playing this game with my men groups has been nothing but fantastic there have been times when we laughed so hard we were crying and other times when men thanked and hugged each other after difficult stories were shared and tears were shed this game has brought so much healing, encouragement, and unity to the men playing it. I'm often thanked for bringing it into the pods and playing it with them because it brightens their day. So, you know, we're all human beings. Uh, people who commit horrendous acts have usually had horrendous acts usually committed against them and, and are hurting. So um, to be understood, we all want to be understood, right? I don't, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be understood. On, even if they pretend they don't. And, you know, I think, you know, you raise a good point because a lot of people, and we were kind of talking about this before we uh, started uh, this broadcast, you know, a lot of people look at somebody who's committed a horrible crime as being this horrible, evil pe uh, person. And, you know, there's certainly those who are. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that there aren't, but in my experience, at least, a lot of them aren't. Uh, a lot of them are people that have simply had uh, tremendous amounts of trauma or they're suffering from mental illness or they're suffering from all sorts of things that have happened to them. And so, you know, the extent to which you can get them to kind of open up and uh, engage with uh, their hurt, 
um, is actually a way to start them on their road uh, to recovery. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, violence is often a last resort when the internal pressure is just unbearable and it's got to be released in some way, right? So I'm not excusing murder by, by, by any wild stretch of the imagination, but of course we, we have to look at, at the um, causes. There are, there's, in every walk of life, there's a small percentage of evil, right? I mean, evil does exist in the world, but mostly, you know, mostly it's, it's just very traumatized hurt people. And I've, I've seen people who've committed murder at 16, 17, part of a gang initiation, because that's part of the lifestyle and they're trying to be cool or something. They don't understand what they're doing at the time, you know, come out 30 years later, completely transformed. It's a frightening thing, right? I mean, you know, even I, I, I have friends who have committed, committed murder when they were young. It's scary. I mean, you know, of course, you can't help but think, you know, how, you know, you, like, you don't want to go there. Like, how could somebody, you know, take another person's life? And even service members are completely traumatized because they've killed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's complicated. It's complicated. But as you said, yes, it's, it's, um, we, I think we all on some level understand why so many black and brown people are, are incarcerated. So what do you see as the biggest obstacle for those dealing with either current or past incarceration? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> do you mean the biggest emotional obstacle or tell me what you mean? Well, uh, I mean, just kind of run with it because I, I mean, I think it could take on a number of different meanings and it's gonna be a little different for you versus me. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to free associate. I mean, my, my first thought is self-esteem when, you know, even if you've had a bad day and somebody for when we're out here and we're successful by society's standards and somebody like this is us, we're going to be mad or hurt or angry for a little while. Right. So you imagine that on a constant basis, day in, day out, day out, almost all the time. I, I don't know, you know, how do you maintain any kind of self-esteem and then you don't have skills you if you've been incarcerated especially a long time unless you few people have had the opportunity to learn some skills and to get degrees um so i i would think it would be maintaining your self-esteem and and then being able to have uh, healthy positive relationships again um and, and so how do you feel like um, your game can help them with that. So it brings back fun, innocence, joy, communication, uh, vulnerability, all those things get lost when, for most people, when, when they're incarcerated. And then they come back and they don't know how to reconnect again with their family. So it's, it just, it just jumpstarts all that. And if you don't have something to jumpstart something, it often goes the opposite direction and just keeps going in the opposite direction. So I think it's especially important, you know, it's like, it's new, this, this is a new thing. Um, most people don't know about it still. And so it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, you're gonna pick up a basketball cause you know basketball cause you played it throughout your childhood, you know? 
but it's really important. It's really important to jumpstart that, that reconnecting with people and people who are using it, it's making a huge difference. Like they're talking about all kinds of things that wouldn't get brought up otherwise within their families. Um, and as Jeff often says, it asks the questions that people don't know how to ask. So um, it's, it's, it's very important. You know, one of the things I, I often tell my kids is that, you know, everyone is going to have periods of time when they're feeling down or they don't feel like what they're doing matters or, you know, stuff isn't going the way that they were planning. It's, I'm in New York uh, City, so sorry about the street noise, but go, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the key things, I think, for a quote unquote healthy person or a person who's you know, not incarcerated anyway, is that, you know, they have kind of some resilience. So when things go uh, poorly, um, you know, they, ha they have ways to uh, kind of deal with it. And it seems like people that end up in trouble, um, it it's kind of a cascading effect that, you know, they don't have good self-esteem to begin with, as you mentioned, and then something goes wrong. And so they may have been doing all right, you know, for a while, like, uh, uh, you know, we had a kid uh, who was um, suffering from pretty severe depression. And so, you know, he'd go and he'd go into a hospital for a while and then he'd come out and he'd be better, but something would always happen. And so uh, as soon as something happened, he, he didn't have the resilience to uh, be able to handle it. And so he, he would basically melt down. Uh, for lack of a better term. And, and so I kind of see this as happening uh, with the incarcerated population as well. They just haven't built in enough resilience to be able to kind of take the blows of everyday life. Yeah, well, a lot of resilience comes from support, right? From having somebody or a number of people you can talk to and let loose and get encouragement from. And, and so... A lot of people don't have that outlet. And yeah, so they internalize everything as something being wrong with them when, when something happens and they don't have another voice telling them anything different from that. So it, yeah, I mean, resilience is super, super important and it can be developed, but it gets developed through support and through talking about things and through feeling cared about which is not the experience of, of most people, many people coming out of prison. So um, how successful have you been at getting this to be accepted by the, uh, the powers that be in, in various prisons? Well, so before the pandemic, the way that I got it out there was going to conferences and community um, conferences, corrections conferences. So I've sold a few thousand um, and it's used in almost every prison in New Jersey, Ohio, um, in about 25 states. Um, then of course, everything stopped during the pandemic. So I got to get back on and, and let people know this is available. I have some amazing consultants on board now. Um, so we're looking to get it into, into a lot more prisons now. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's not like one body that can say, this is really great. and We're going to put it everywhere. That's not the way it generally works, right? I think, I think you know that. So we're trying to figure it all out. You know, I, I feel it's been successful. It's being used by thousands of people. 
So, um, and, and it's something very different. Um, it's evidence informed, but not evidence based yet. So um, it's got a ways to go, but I think it's been, it's been, and where it's being used is extremely successful. So I've hundreds of testimonials and support and yeah. So is your plan to go prison by prison and try to get it introduced or? Well, like plan? with Ohio and New Jersey, the directors of reentry bought a few hundred each and then they disseminated it throughout the prisons. Um, I actually have not reached out to the directors of reentry in other states, um, which I will do because I have so much else going on um, and a number of other games to include a game called Streets for Gang and Street Life, a veteran reintegration game, the inclusion game and over a thousand colleges. And I'm working right now on one um, for BIPOC, Black, Indigenous and People of Color to heal together. Um, but anyway, we are working, part of that, the event was about that to you know, hopefully get it throughout California. So that's, that's our next plan. A lot of states follow California as well as to let people know this resource is available to use within their families. So you have the education barrier, right? People, if they don't play, if they don't use it, they don't understand it. Like when I, when I do trainings and I explain it to the staff or the people, and then they see it in action, they were like, I did not get this at all. I did not understand this at all until they see it in action. So you have that barrier or something completely new. People don't really get it till they see it in action. That's why we're doing the Life After Time video series, which is just starting, lifeaftertime.com. We have one video up right now. It will be hundreds so that you can see the game in action as well as you probably saw the video, right? Yeah. yeah. So you can, you, can see, you can see it in action. So people will start saying, oh, oh, okay, okay, right? Because people have to understand what it is. Um, and then kind of explain how the game is played again, because, um, you know, I mean, what's the object of the game, at least that you present to them? The object is for people to have a safe space to share, to be really be honest, to be able to transform their experiences with people, compassionate other people through talking about it, the same thing that therapy does right? When we don't know what we think or feel often until we start speaking it. We don't have that inner dialogue that lets us really know what we think or feel about things. The way we know is through talking. So this gives that opportunity. You know, plus sanity is gained through reflection and, and talking, talking about things. So when people are all chaotic and their emotions are all crazy and you know, happens to all of us when you can have deep, meaningful conversations that brings you back into center, back into being grounded. Plus, you discover all kinds of things about yourself and, and about other people. So the way it works is you have you have the, the card, number of cards, one to six, and then you have the uh, recharge cards. There's 400 questions, and that's um, one to six questions on a card. So you pick a number card. Oh, oh important, important. Sorry, I forgot. Everybody gets seven ships from here. And what this is, their appreciation ships, this is super important. So everybody gets seven ships. And if you feel moved by anybody, anything anybody says or does, because there's drawing and activities as well, you give a chip or has, you can give all your ships. You can give them as many as you want. So when people are open and vulnerable, everybody's like throwing chips at them. And everybody's like laughing after somebody's been crying. So it's a super, super important part. Here we go. Here, whoops, here are the chips. Okay. 
So I'm going to give you a bunch of chips for all your work. Okay, David, ready? Will you take them? <laughs> this is this is for you for your work. I know we, we haven't played the game together yet, but okay. All right. Okay. So. Um, so it also helps people to think through things. So the question I just landed on are, what are some of the things you are determined to do to make it through difficult times in your reintegration? That might help jog a bunch of things people maybe aren't even thinking about that, like what they're determined to do to make it through difficult times. Everybody will answer the same question. So everybody's gonna learn from each other what they're doing and they'll start getting um, support from each other. Um, how did you adapt change to be able to survive prison life? Then they can talk about and begin to understand the barrier, the defenses they might have put up, the lack of, you know, love or whatever. It, it will help them to sort through and process um, a lot of the changes they went through to help them to start transforming them. Do you feel your punishment fit your crime? A lot of people won't feel that way. Some people might, but these are all things that are super important to process with, with other people who are really listening to you. Because when you're holding everything inside, um, that's just gonna explode somehow at, at some point in some way. Um, and can you explain the concept of transformational communication? Yeah, sure. Okay, so. Okay, so here's a question. Do you have any regrets? Why or why not? The way that that could be transformational is somebody might really get in touch with a regret of, of a crime that they might have committed against another person. They might have never, probably never had a chance to talk about it. So as they're talking about it, they might really feel deeply, they might cry, they might be able to release the pain and, and the self-hatred that they might feel towards themselves. And through that, other people will also give them support in that. And that's transformational. That changes things internally when, when you can have that experience, right? And help you to move through something that might've been holding in for decades. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly is trauma. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge believer um, that, that trauma is probably one of the biggest driving forces of uh, the criminal legal system. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't feel like, um, you know, overall, there's an appreciation that trauma is really uh, driving, uh, you know, it's easy, I think, to understand that, you know, trauma's role with victims of crime, but uh, less easy to understand how it actually perpetuates crime. Um, what, what's been your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I've worked off of, obviously in, in these areas a lot. And if you're living in a violent project and you're seeing violence and you're hearing violence all the time and there's all kind of um, very, very negative things going on all, all around you. You know, people live in hell in, in some of these neighborhoods. And many, many people have lost many friends by the time they're a teenager. And it devalues human life. I mean, your own life. You don't, you don't feel like your life matters. Nobody's really paying attention 
to your life unless you have a, a caring parent or 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 relative or or somebody. But um, you know, trauma, unprocessed trauma, separates us from our own self. Right when when it when it's when it's not processed, it, it creates a block uh, uh, from our own self. So then you can't process information. You can't learn very well. You can't remember. I mean, it's 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 physiologically creates a lot of different physical blocks in our brains. I mean, I I I know that there's research done. I I don't I can't speak specifically, but there's research done that a tra traumatized brain looks very different than than a no quote normal brain of somebody who hasn't experienced a great deal of trauma. So there's many physiological changes that that happen to people um, due to trauma and. And you also can't have authentic relationships when you're severely traumatized because you're not yourself and, and you're separated from, from yourself and your own feelings and your own thoughts. So that, that's one of the worst. Um, and when you don't have relationships with people, you know, life isn't really very much worth living. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that we see in a lot of these police incidents is um, that often, um, you know, there are other factors like mental illness or, you know, but, but sometimes it's really just a trauma uh, response that, uh, you know, somebody barking orders at somebody triggers PTSD and all sorts of other trauma. And so, uh, you know, until you can get past uh, trauma and, you know, um, I, I saw a stat recently uh, you know, a huge percentage of people that get caught up in the prison system uh, started out as actually victims of crime, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, it's often, you know, relatives who are, uh, you know, they're on the receiving end of everything from emotional to physical to uh, sexual abuse, uh, and, and then it just multiplies. Um, I wasn't aware of that. That's interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the statistic is also 90% of the women in, in prison have been sexually abused as children. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, but but not just women, uh, you know, yeah. a lot yeah. of uh, men uh, yeah. were sexually abused too, which I think is, uh, I, I don't want to, um, I, I got to be careful how I phrase this, but in, in some ways, it's even worse because uh, there's all sorts of other stigmas. Uh, I, I, I don't think that's the way I wanted to say it, but uh, uh, I think you get what I was trying yeah. to say. Yeah, shame, more shame. Men have more yeah. shame over it. I mean, there's plenty of shame for women, but men have even more. Right, and, and men also have a disincentive to ever deal with it because, uh, you know, uh, at least you know, in my generation, uh, you know, the worst thing you could do is uh, be seen as one of those type of guys. Uh, you know, I hope the world's changing a little bit on that. But, uh, you know, um, but I, I, I think it creates this whole level of trauma that never gets dealt with. Um, and you just see it time after time. You know, the, these kids grow up in this horrific environment. Their parents are uh, you know, struggling. Uh, some of them, you know, some of the parents who are struggling uh, do real well with their kids, but a lot end up, you know, with their own 
uh, trauma and their own substance abuse, and that just gets passed down to the next generation. And so we're really proliferating this, and, and there needs to be kind of a way to intervene and, and stop the trauma cycle if we want to deal with the, the crime cycle and the poverty cycle. Yeah, there's, there's a whole lot that needs to be done, and it's kind of just not really being paid attention to. I mean, right now, a lot of politicians are talking about rehabilitation. There's a lot of talk about rehabilitation. Uh, Cedric Richmond, the White House senior advisor, I'm not sure what the office is exactly, is talking about that uh, Biden is going to earmark $5 billion for community violence interrupters. You know, we'll see how that all comes out. Charlemagne the God is raising hundred million dollars for mental health. I'm not sure exactly what he plans to do with that money, but so there's a lot of people trying to mobilize now. Um, you know, what I love about my games is that most, you're not going to get most people from these areas into a therapist's office, right. right? It's just not part of their experience or their desire. Well, so the hard game- to get into a therapist's office. Yeah. It is, it is, there aren't many therapists, there aren't nearly enough therapists to begin with, or ones especially that are gonna understand that experience. So so counselors or just even mature people can take the games into the neighborhoods, play, start opening that up, conversations up, building those groups, building support. You know, I, I, I it's so, I'm not saying this because I invented it. Like, I hope you get a chance to watch a group. It's incredibly powerful, it's incredibly beautiful and inexpensive and portable and anybody can I design them so anybody can run the groups who's mature and sensitive the the game is the therapist somebody just has to keep everything in line it's very easy to do uh recharges peer facilitated in many of the prisons very successfully so you know i'm hoping to get the word out anybody watching who wants to contact me please do to help me get the word out and let people know these games are available to help with this mission that a lot of people care about. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I think you're right on the cutting edge of this. I'm just hoping, you know, with this current crime fear that we don't start turning back to the bad old days of, uh, uh, you know, lock them up, throw away the key. I just don't think that works. Um, and so, you know, and I also believe that a lot of people that are in prison really don't need to be in prison. Yeah. Uh, they, they need help, they need support, um, you know, they need education and job training, uh, and, and they need to deal with their past trauma, uh, but they don't need to be locked away and thrown away in a, in, in a cage for decades. And so, you know, figuring out ways that we can help people without uh, resorting to cages, I think, is, is, a, is the way forward. Yeah, I mean, the vast majority are in for substance abuse things and mental illness, who, who are, I think it's about 70% if you put those two together. So, yeah, but, you know, how it's changing that lock them up mentality. It's easy, right? Quote, yep. easy. Yeah. Easy for us. Uh, not so much for uh, the people on the receiving end. Yeah, um, we're not a society that has things in place to to be compassionate at this time, and um, a lot of work needs to be done. A lot of work needs to be done. So we're trying to, you know, with the game, with the ser video series, we're trying to bring a really humanizing lens with the awards 
that, that we want to put out there, um, like from the event. Um, I'm sorry, the audience doesn't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you can edit that out. <laughs> but, um, you know, people need to start caring more people in a mass, mass way to bring pressure. Um, and then finally, we're, we're just about out of time. So uh, maybe talk about, you know, ways people can help uh, uh, facilitate this going forward and, and kind of what you're hoping to do in the next year. Okay, can you see my email there? Are you able to see it or no? Um, Le Leslie, trans no. Okay. Okay. So um, I can be reached at robinsonl3 at aol.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N-L, the number three, not the word, at aol.com. Um, do you put up also information um, on the podcast, David? Yeah, we can put your information on the written part of the podcast so that okay. when people log on, they, they can have your contact info. Okay, great. Also, the website for the game with a lot more information as well as videos is rechargethegame.com, rechargethegame.com. Um, please feel free to reach out to me with any suggestions, any ways you want to work. If you want to bring the game into your churches, communities, housing projects, social workers, it makes everybody's job so much easier. A lot of people don't know how they want to help and they don't know how to engage with formerly incarcerated people. So there's a lot of prison ministries that aren't doing very much because they don't quite know how to bridge that. They can use the game to, to engage, to run groups for healing. Um, so the next year we're working hard to put the Life After Time video series together, which will, is an intimate look people answering questions from the recharge game. And, and it deeply humanizes their experiences to anybody who watches them and lets them have a much different viewpoint of people who've been incarcerated because they really hear um, very personal, very, um, I don't know, very moving um, answers to these questions that really show that they're not these monsters um, at all. And so we're working hard to humanize this population so that maybe, you know, that, that to themselves, as well as to the public. So maybe that can help move things forward as well as to get the game out into communities, families, donations. Um, I do have people contacting political people to hopefully get it on, on the, the agenda um, to have these donated out to families for returning citizens, formerly incarcerated people to be able to play with their families to bridge back in to have more resilience because they'll be closer to their family members and not feel like they're out there all alone fighting the world alone with no resources, you know, they'll feel that emotional support goes a long, long way. Um, yeah, so a lot, a lot planned for this coming year. Sounds good. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I think you're doing uh, some really amazing work. I'm glad you had a chance to share your experience uh, with folks. Uh, you know, we're we deal so much with the other side of the criminal justice coin. It's good to uh, learn about, you know, what, what people are doing to help people that are not necessarily wrongly convicted, although, you know, some of them are, um, but uh, a lot are, and uh, they still need support. And, 
you know, these types of programs, I think, uh, are excellent in helping them forward. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. This is yeah. Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald, and join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system.